curating curiosity through compelling conversation. Welcome to the show. I am Jesse Mogul, host of Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. I hope you're checking out my website, MediaMogul.com. Find me on iTunes at MediaMogul.com forward slash iTunes. You can always just search Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. I am, after all, the only Jesse Mogul, which is why you will find me on all my social media channels at Jesse Mogul, except for Facebook. Made that one Media Mogul because you know why? Don't want to be your friend on Facebook unless I've met you. So you got to like the page. That's just the way it is. I'm a little whack like that. Anyways, I am reared up and ready to go for this topic. I actually stumbled into this. I'm going to tell you what I was just doing. What I was just doing right now was attempting, not attempting, I successfully did it, to get into the cryptocurrency marketplace. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (sighs) The crowd went wild. It only took me an hour to figure out how to do this, which honestly, if you guys have thought about getting into the cryptocurrency world, it will be... The, your number one deterrent to even get into this is going to be just all the different stuff that's going on. Some of the, some of the websites like Kraken want uh, even even Coinbase want your copy of your driver's license front and back. Um, Kraken wanted even more copy of bills and stuff like that, social security number, um, things that you know what I've I've given so freely to so many different places. Screw it, you know, take it. You're gonna do with whatever you're gonna do with it. I got things that monitor my credit. I'm not too worried about that. But I use Coinbase because all you have to do is send in a driver's license, and you can takes two or three minutes to take a picture of it with your phone. Got in, was able to get my weekly limit up from 150 to 500, and after they take their $20 fee out, I ended up getting 480 bucks. And I took that 480 bucks and immediately put it straight into Bitcoin. Um, is Bitcoin what I'm ultimately going to stay in? No, I, I'm going to talk about this cryptocurrency world for people a little bit later down the line once i've gotten a little bit into it i got this buddy of mine at metal named pierre dude's mad chill so cool about giving me information because he hasn't been in the game really that long but the dude just seems like a sponge when it comes to this stuff and he's super friendly and nice and answering questions that he may you know know the answer to it might be like ah come on man you can go google that but sometimes it's just it's so overwhelming. You just need to have a friendly, trustworthy person tell you, look, just go do this. Trust me. It's going to be fine. So he's got me. Uh, I'm in there. I got 500 bucks in. It's 480 after I get the fees taken out. Um, now, so now I currently own, one, basically I own about one-eighth of uh, a Bitcoin, which because Bitcoin's currently trading at four grand. It's, at, it's probably going to be above 10 grand by the end of the year. I should have gotten into this. You know, since last month it was thirteen hundred. I could have gotten in on Bitcoin at three grand, and you know, I'd already have seen thirty-three uh, percent return rate. Whatever it is, what it is. There's a lot of other things going on. If you've ever thought about getting into it, there's some really cool stuff. Give me about a couple weeks, maybe even a month, to really start screwing around with this, talking to some more people. I mean, this thing was down around uh, below two thousand, right around two thousand uh, dollars. Man, there is some really great information on this. Yeah, it was. 25 24.75 back on July 26th. You could have bought it at 24 and here we are not even at August 26th and it's already above 4 grand. Um hell since I bought it the damn thing's up $64. Anyways, that's not the point. Although it is sort of kind of the point of, of today's conversation. Today's conversation's about entrepreneurship and it's about the disruptors. And when, you know, and that's where cryptocurrencies are sort of kind of in this realm of this conversation I'm getting ready to have with you guys because it is a disruptor. 
somewhere out there, people decided that they wanted there to be a currency that could be traded across borders and nations and was not at the mercy of governments. You know, if you know much about the U.S. Treasury, they, when they print money, they basically are loaning it to us. So the money already arrives to us in debt. Um, this isn't, you know, our, we're not the only currency like this. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of countries have, have this, you know, kind of uh, bank, this, this U.S. Treasury kind of system going on. So they have other people printing their money. Uh, is it as crazy as ours? I don't know. I'm not an expert on it. There's a, there's a movie about, called Zeitgeist. It was the old school one. I think it opens up with uh, the first segment's about Jesus, the second one's about money, and the third one is about 9-11. And uh, it really goes into um, our U.S. Treasury and just how whack that whole system is. Um, you know, the World Bank and, and, and uh, International Monetary Fund and everybody manipulating currencies. This was a way for coders to come up with a way using a blockchain and some other things. And again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You can leave threads down at the bottom that I'm a moron and I should shut up and hide in a closet with a drunk raccoon. I'm not drunk. The raccoon is. Let's make sure that you heard that right. So what I'm talking about is with the cryptocurrencies, it's a way for people to spend money all around the world without having to worry about exchanging currencies. So if you know, if we were living in Venezuela and you wanted to buy something in the Ukraine, you had to take your currency and figure out the conversion for Ukrainian money. And with crypto, you don't have to do that. It goes, it doesn't, borders do not exist to it. Now, um, nationalities do not exist. Governments certainly do not exist. And it's a disruptor. And what it's going to do over the course of the next few years is going to be absolutely mega, mega awesome. A lot of people are, who are very influential are getting into this. Um, certainly something that uh, a lot of the world uh, leaders in the finance field did not foresee coming. And uh, but you know, if you've got millions of dollars, you could have jumped. You could jump into this thing. You know, boom! And overnight, you're a player. Uh, what got me wanting to talk about this disruption thing was that I came across a article today. Um, I get Flipboard. It's one of my favorite things to read because uh, it constantly sends me little updates about awesome stuff. And this one about uh, from Tech Dirt came up, The Dangerous Rise of Unproductive Entrepreneurship was the title of it. And so when I first saw that, I thought, oh, unproductive entrepreneurship. It's like me. You know, you're an entrepreneur. Um, who has been running several businesses for quite some time, and you haven't really seen much return on it to the point where you still have to have a day job. Um, that's not at all what it was about. Um, what it's, it was discussing was the differences between productive, unproductive, and, disrupt, and destructive entrepreneurship. Unproductive could also be called political, and productive could also be called market. Where the idea is that if you are a, pro a member of the productive entrepreneurship, you're part of the market entrepreneurship, then you are creating something, you are an entrepreneur who creates something for the betterment of society. Uh, you're still making money hand over fist. Uh, don't, 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 don't take that wrong. Uh, you know, the ultimate goal of every entrepreneur is to just make a hell of a ton of cash, right? I mean, you're not doing this because you want to sit on your hands and, and eat uh, filet mignon or uh, ramen noodles all the time. Um, here's, the, here's the thing, is that a market or productive entrepreneur 
We're just gonna stick with productive. I'm trying not to confuse you on this. They are they're looking to get filthy rich, as everybody should be, but you know, not at the detriment of society. They tend to be making a world a better place. Uh, they're creating value. Um, the political entrepreneurs, those are the ones who are abusing the system. They create monopoly rents and they limit competition. So if you want to think about the productive entrepreneurs, think about Airbnb and Uber. Um, you know, even with Starbucks back in the day, you know, their goal, I mean, I've been to that one in Seattle. Their goal was just to make a really great cup of coffee that they could replicate in multiple stores. Do they see it becoming this world power that it is? I mean, did anybody? But it is. And just like now, now people look down upon Uber because of what their CEO did and all the sexism and whatnot that was going on there. And I'm not frowning upon that at all. Right now, I'm not discussing their morals and ethics. I'm discussing purely their business-driven acumen. Um, much like Airbnb, who doesn't have all the scandal, they said, hey, there's people sitting around with cars doing nothing. There's people sitting around with houses doing nothing. Why don't we figure out a way to help other people? We're going to undercut the current marketplace. We're going to undercut taxi cabs. We're going to undercut hotels so people who want to travel can do so on, a, on more of a, a budget. And we're also going to help the people who have the extra car or the car sitting around or the extra bedroom in their house and give them a secondary source of income. This is brilliant considering that it came out right about the time that the market crashed in 2009. I mean, you think about, you know, all of a sudden people needed extra coin and people needed a way to start saving money. And somebody posted on Facebook the other day that Uber and Lyft have done more in the last, you know, few, six years, three years, whatever, to reduce drinking and driving than U.S. government regulations had done in 30 years. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. But here's my issue, and this is what I have, I've been saying about taxi cabs for some time now. They were way overpriced. They were uh, way um, you, you couldn't count on them. You know, they they're, they're, you you would call up a taxi cab company. They'd say 20, 30 minutes. You, you this you did not know if they were going to show up, when they were going to show up. You had to call on a phone. You had to worry about paying on cash. Then they finally got credit card machines inside in, inside them. There was just too many variables, and it just didn't work. Uh, where taxi cab companies should have stepped up to the plate, much in the same vein that Blockbuster via Netflix, is that they should have when as soon as Uber and Lyft came around, they should have said, you know what, let's unite, let's come up with a universal app, or each one of these cab companies could have come up with an app in their city. They could have made it so that they that the cabs would have arrived on time. There would have been a consistency in that entire thing. And then there's also the issue of the price. To go five miles should not cost me $27. You know, I would try to go to West Hollywood. It wouldn't even be the traffic, and it would be an arm and a leg. It's $3 for the first eighth of a mile, and then, you know, a dollar for each eighth of a mile, or, you know, 59 cents for each eighth of a mile after that. that no, that's not going to cut it, nor should they be charging these guys $250,000 for a medallion, which is what I hear they charge in New York City, and I'm sure that. The, the price is the same in other places. So before I get off the rails on all that, that's that's what the that's what the productive entrepreneur does. It sees a problem, it comes up with a way to disrupt the status quo, and it goes in there. They make gobbles and gobbles of money, but they also help society as in, as a whole as well. Now, sure, you could argue that taxi cab drivers have been drastically hurt because of Uber and Lyft, and I've certainly seen many of them switching over to Uber and Lyft here, which does suck for those people who spent, you know, who mortgaged off that $250,000 medallion and were expecting it to be their their uh, their cash cow for their entire lives. Um, again, 
why on earth those things cost so much? That's on the taxicab unions or whoever's the one who sets that. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely asinine ridiculous. The taxicab um, industry had these crazy guidelines that these guys had to fo- had to follow. You know, an Uber and Lyft roll up. Now it can be any old person just p- picking you up at your house. You know, and because there's ways to rate them and ba- semi background checks, I guess. You know, there's been issues with that. Um, it what Uber and Lyft showed was that there was another way and it's not on them to help the taxi cab industry figure out how to salvage themselves. Much like the coal mining industry, we're moving towards clean energy regardless of whether we're in the Paris Agreement or not, regardless of who's trying to stand up against it or who's trying to stand with it. It doesn't matter. We're moving towards clean energy. Coal jobs are going away. They're the, it's like the dodo bird. You know, It's all automated now. So you can sit here and say that you're trying to save a coal job, you're trying to save a taxi cab job, but you know, how many jobs went to the wayside because um, graphing calculators no longer needed to be produced because iPhones have that functionality on them now? Or how many alarm clocks are no longer being sold because of smartphones? Or how many digital cameras aren't being small, sold because of smartphones? Or how many of anything that used to exist as another item? If you've ever been on Facebook, you may have seen that one uh, meme where it's like, all oh, like there's some 80s dude standing in front of a table with 50 different objects and then at the bottom it says, now all of this fits in my pocket. I mean, all of those things that used to be produced have gone away of a dodo bird because of a smartphone. And no one's, you know, no one's, you know, you don't see Argentina crying for them either. So when you come in and you disrupt things and you're doing it for a positive notion, you're doing it for a positive mentality, This, these are ways that help the marketplace. But when you come in and you do things, do things unproductive, which means that you're trying to take money, you're trying to set rents, you're trying to get filthy rich, but you're trying to limit value by uh, locking it up, such as uh, the big telecom, big cable, banks. You know, you think about um, all these different mergers and acquisitions that have been going on within the media, whether it be newspapers, Sinclair buying up all the television stations, uh, you know, different media buying up smaller newspapers. Um, you know, what, uh, I once put it in one of my earlier podcasts that 90% of the media is owned by six per, six different um, media conglomerates, company, you know, big international companies. When that happens, all of a sudden you get these people at the top who can start uh, filtering out the kind of stories that they tell. And that would be unproductive entrepreneurship where you are manipulating society. You are putting, you're taking things, you're basically trying to become a one percenter. You don't want to help. Uh, you're just, how much money can I make? How much uh, of my competition can I destroy? How many people can I put out so that I can make more money? Uh, what got me fascinated by this, and then there's, of course, there's the destructive ones. You know, uh, in the article that got me reading about this and in the podcast I subsequently uh, listened to, if you go to Tech Dirt, it's called The Dangerous Rise of Unproductive Entrepreneurship. And then if you go over to their podcast, it's called Is the Economy More Important Than Democracy? And that's Tech Dirt. Um, I'll put that in, in um I'll put that in my blog post over on my website so you guys can find those links. What it's talking about is that, you know, back in the day, decisions were made based on will this help the United States democracy? And now more and more decisions are being based on will this help America's economy? And the, they were talking about how the government, whether they have a, they they can either regulate or deregulate, and whatever they choose to do, can cause market share to go up or down. It can cause the stock market to go up or down, and thus 
there's a lot of cronyism because you know the lobbyists can come in, even the politicians can contact these companies and say, "Hi, we're either going to regulate or deregulate you if you don't throw some money into our re-election campaign coffers." So it's not just lobbyists hitting them up; the politicians could be looking for for money too, and. The whole thing, as you can probably imagine, just turns into a circle of greed and a circle of corruption. Um, you, you got the there's so many different ways that you can control the marketplace, whether it's through policy, whether it's applying patents to things. I mean, think about what Monsanto did. They control over 80% of our soy and corn through patents now. Um, Mel, Max Brooks recently did a great interview with Terry Gross over on Fresh Air on NPR. Google Max Brooks, Terry Gross, Fresh Air. I'll drop this into my notes too or into the post on my website. Um, you can go listen to the audio where he works with the military talking about different ways that our country can be attacked or can be hurt. And one of the ways he was talking about it was, you know, Monsanto got the U.S. government through various means, lobbying, and I'm sure money given to the right political strat strategists and politician to be able to change one little gene in a soy or a corn, be able to patent that soy or corn so no longer can farmers bank their seeds. Now they have to repurchase them every single season from Monsanto, which sounds like a shit idea from the get-go. Absolutely horrible idea. I mean, forget about the whole GMO thing, but just, you know, a lot of these are called terminator seeds now, so they only... They only generate once. They they don't allow themselves to. Um, they don't allow them the the seeds whenever they're supposed to go to the point where they can be, where they would drop down to the to the soil and still be able to reproduce the next year. They they've cut that off, and so now it's a terminator seed. So it only works one season. Next year you call Monsanto. So Monsanto gets their way on that. I'm sure some politicians benefited. Then Monsanto sells itself to Bayer which is a Germany-owned company. And, of course, we've got treaties, and we're cool with Germany, unless you know, the Trumpian decides to screw that one up. But they're not going to do anything whack with, the, with those patents. But Germany technically owns the patents on 80% of the soy and corn in the United States. Now, not now, not even a year from now, but 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now, Germany and the U.S. may not be so cool. Or that Germany might find itself in a position where it's not paying attention. And now, all of a sudden, Bayer sells, on, uh, sells those patents to a different company, which sells those patents to China. You know, it's, and now, all of a sudden, China owns the patents to 80% or more of our soy and corn. And so... When you got these policies being built out by businesses who are just looking to make a quick buck as fast as possible and they don't care who they crush, and you've got politicians who are short-sighted and not seeing the long game because they're 60, 70, 80, and they don't really care as long as they die with a statue in their home state and a lot of money in their bank to, to give out to their grandkids. Uh, when they're when they're that when you're that short-sighted, you, then you become part of that destructive, unproductive entrepreneurship. And when we as a society aren't watching this and aren't and aren't being the voice of reason, um, today speaking of voice of reason, today on NPR, I was listening to a woman talk about um, all the different. Um, protests that are going on, you know, whether it be, you know, because Charlottesville, obviously, the, the you know, the alt-right versus the normal people, uh, sane people, if you will. Um, and the woman made a comment. She's like, every major change that's happened in this country has happened because the citizens stood up against 
and told the politicians what they demanded. It wasn't a politician talking to another politician that got slavery to end or prohibition to end or women's rights or gay rights or African-American rights, any rights at all. It's always been the people standing up saying, no, you will not treat another citizen this way. And it's because of that voice that we've seen this change. If we left it up to politicians, we'd probably still have slaves. What do they care? They're making tons of money. And businesses are paying them money to look the other way or regulate or deregulate based upon their needs. Uh, and so it's our voice that ultimately, and our dollar, our dollar is huge on this. If you learn anything about Monsanto and, and the kind of stuff that they're poisoning and you start realizing that um, all your cereals, your Kellogg's and your posts, it's all poison. You're feeding your kids poison and what they're doing to our vegetables all around the planet, it's poison. So you speak with your dollar, you speak with your voice and you, and that's what I mean, I loved the idea of what these people were talking about because having a unproductive quote unquote political entrepreneurship where it's cronyism and you're out to make a quick buck you're making out to make as much money as possible and you don't care who you crush it's unsustainable you can allow all of these uh, hear that again it is unsustainable if you, even if you don't go and listen and read all the things that I did to prepare for this you still understand that Okay, maybe a stock for a, a company for Tribune Media or something. I, that was the last one I remember, and I'm pretty sure I only remember them because Sinclair beat out Fox to buy all their television stations. Tribune Media's stock might go up because they acquired 50 more TV stations. Sinclair goes up because it acquires 50 more TV stations. But what that does is it takes away competition. It takes away other people's voices. And so it's it, big cable. Think about that. You know, now there's Comcast, there's Spectrum, there's Cox. There's only, there's only so many of those around because they've gone out and they've gobbled up everybody else. And when you do that, you start getting, uh, yes, those companies see their stocks go up because they're more of a monopoly and now they can charge a, a, a pretty penny. They can give crappy service, which we have all gotten from uh, DirecTV, AT&T, Spectrum, Cox, Time Warner kind of situation. We've all know that crappy ass service. And so when you allow an unproductive entrepreneurship to occur, you start seeing acquisitions. You start seeing the amount of competition to reducing because that's the way that, you know humans with lots of money and lots of power left to their own vices will have no problem becoming the one percent of the one percent of the one percent and everybody else can just eat termites as far as they're concerned i'm a you know, this guy on the podcast said he liked to err on the side of believing that most humans want to do good i believe that too it's just unfortunate that a lot of those humans who get into power are not those people who want to do good for every warren buffett or branson you get the Koch brothers and so you have to just i mean when you're aware of this and you, and you can watch it go on uh, it becomes something much more strategic to pay attention to. Um, I'm not sure where I have it now. I'm going to find it later, and I'll probably do a, a podcast or a story on this. But I came across a really cool article that was um, about a guy who came up with a um, 
came up with this with this app. It's called allourgreen.us, and it's this browser plugin that you can put on your computer. So every time you're reading a story with a politician's name, it will tell you how much money uh, their top ten monetary influences. The plugin is free. Um, in this article by Vice.com, you, you can go to it's, it. Would call it greenhouse because three different symbolic ideas: the color of money, the two houses of Congress, and the transparency of a greenhouse. Um, I will uh, probably post this up on my Facebook page and maybe drop it into the notes uh, of for my blog post over on my website, and that'll be um, coming out soon. But crony capitalism is on the rise. Okay, It leads to an unproductive society. It, it leads to competition being thinned. It leads to basically the normal consumer getting screwed. And while Silicon Valley, for the most part, has been a disruptor that is doing it for productive reasons, because... Those are the forward-thinking types who come up with an app. They come up with an idea that that disrupts. And yes, they're going to make bonkers of money. And that's what. I, and that's how I'm going to close this up on because I'm coming out on my 30-minute limit. Is that you? I've noticed, and I'm not, this isn't going to be across the board. All right. So if you go out there and you find an unproductive entrepreneur from Silicon Valley, don't be a dick about it. Just you can just leave it in the comments. But. A majority of the ones I was noticing through my research and just through normal day-to-day life, when, when you look at productive entrepreneurship, it tends to be those tech-based companies that are coming out that are attempting to be the most productive and to help the marketplace, to help the consumer, and also make tons of money. And the unproductive entrepreneurs tend to be the ones from the old school businesses, the banks and the cable and the phone and the seeds and the poisons and the chemicals and the oil and the energy. Those are the ones that are trying to hold on to their, their 19th, you know, the 20th century vestiges of, of profit-driven uh, wealth. And it's not – I mean it's just uh, – here's i've been saying this for so long to anyone who will listen that we need the politicians who are in office now who are in their 60 late 60s 70s and 80s to retire so gen xers can become the leaders because we're different we think different we care differently i can't wait for the millennials to be in their 60s 70s and 80s and running congress but that's a long way off, you know. I mean, well, I guess most of them are sort of in their fifties, uh, are in their twenties, thirties. Because I don't think I don't even know if Gen Y lasted. I, I I don't know if that stayed or if they just changed it to millennials. Um, and hell, even the people being born now, they're not you know they're not going to be seventy until the damn near end of the century, and so. They're going to be the ones who actually come in and have to mop up this mess that we make. And hopefully we are paying attention to what's going on because you can make a decision now like allowing Monsanto to patent soy and corn. And everything seems hunky-dory now because America owned it or America's in charge of it or our allies own it. But down the line, things may change. And the things that you regulate now or deregulate now so that you can make some money might, uh, might come back to bite you in the ass. And you maybe didn't see you know, 15 steps down the path to how this was actually a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. And so when you're thinking about these unproductive entrepreneurs, they're going out there and they're destroying whatever they want in order to make a ton of money that long term that's unsustainable whether they're destroying the environment for the money whether they're destroying destroying the middle class for their money it's unsustainable and at some point the peasants rise up that's just the way that it works that's just the way it's always worked um so you, you can 
have regulation here, you can have regulation there. You can say, well, we don't want big government, but I'm telling you, you, you take big, you take government out of, of the equation, and of course, if everybody's corrupting the government, might as well take them out of the equation because I'd be better off to just hope that the company didn't screw you. If everybody's corrupt, then you're super screwed. But the idea is that government should be there to make sure that these businesses don't take advantage. And don't try to manipulate society so they can make tons of money and ultimately screw us. There should not be Roundup on all of our food. We should not still be relying on coal jobs. You know, there is, a, it's, I think it's, it's called the ARC Appalachian Regional Commission. And they're focused on helping um, people in the Appalachian region come up with other jobs whenever the coal mining jobs, I'm sure other jobs too, but it was really founded, I think, to help this particular wing of it was founded to help coal miners find other jobs. Of course, Trump wants to cut it in his budget, even though it's the, you know, if he cared about coal miners, coal miners can't get jobs. Robots aren't giving up jobs. And he's wanting to cut this from his new budget, which I don't even know where that's at in Congress right now. But it's like, he, you're not thinking long term. You know, you're, you're wanting to cut things because you want to spend more money on the military, but you're not even giving jobs to the people who are sitting at home, these 40 and 50 year olds who want to work, but they can't find a job. And you can't promise them a job that doesn't exist. And no coal miner wants to go back in a, in a coal mine. I've been saying this since I started this podcast. There is not a coal miner who wants a coal mining job back. They just want a freaking job. And so if you're out there and you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, think about being a productive one. Don't think about it. Be a productive one. Because that's the only way to truly benefit society is for you to be able to wake up every day knowing you're bettering it and going to bed every night knowing that you tried your damnedest to continue to better it. And if you're an unproductive, it's unsustainable. It will come back to haunt you. The, the, the peasants will rise up. Uh, at some point, whether it's with their voices or their sticks or their tiki torches, and I'm making and I'm making fun of the white supremacists. I'm not siding with the white supremacists. Um, you know, the people will. Uh, I shouldn't even say tiki torches. Now you guys are gonna all think I'm all right. My point was is that whether we, you know, we, we the the normal the sane people, the nice people, not the left, just the center people. Like, where's the center? Can't we all? Can't we all just get along? But at some point, you, if you keep stomping down the actual people who are who are being oppressed, you know, not the alt-right tiki torch people, um, if you cannot continue to oppress. It doesn't work. And if you continue to have entrepreneurs and businesses out there being unproductive, the big energy, the big coal, the big cable, the 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 the, the too big to fails out there who are just take 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 taking and not build 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 building. You know, and not building with smoke and mirrors, but actual building, so everybody profits as well as them. Then you're going to find yourself in a situation where society is going to start to break down, and people are going to start to rise. And so that's what got me thinking about this, man. What a, I mean, tech dirt. I never even thought about it. Just absolutely great story. Um, really, really excited about what I read. Um, there's a fire engine swinging by just to say, "What's up? Go firefighters! Be safe." Um, so yeah. That's what we have to say about that. You know, I had some stuff to talk about social safety nets, but I sort of hit up on it with the Appalachian Regional Commission. Um, you know, you can set those things up, but I have a whole other thing, a whole other thing. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this. The whole idea, the whole point was that unproductive entrepreneurship is going on. It's mostly old business, and they're continuing to hurt, hurt, hurt when they should be help, help, helping. And the productive entrepreneurs are coming from these new industries, the tech field and, and the like. And so keep your eye on those. Keep your eye on Bitcoin. Follow me on 
Facebook at MediaMogul.com. Follow me on all my social media at JesseMogul, MediaMogul.com, MediaMogul.com forward slash iTunes. I'm curating curiosity through compelling conversation. I get so excited to talk to you guys. I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. Hey, go out there, treat each other right, and have a safe journey.